0: Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Andy Murphy. Wisconsin officials are working on a slate of new voting laws that some Native leaders say would hinder their access to the ballot box. Several other states are tightening voting access, prompting lawsuits by tribes and voting rights advocates who say it disproportionately limits election participation for people of color. We'll get a look at the changing voting landscape coming up this hour. We're back after the news.
1: Kansas tribes are seeking the removal of the state's education commissioner, Randy Watson, following disparaging comments Watson made at a recent conference. The education official recounted a childhood story about tornadoes, saying he would tell his cousins to be more worried about Indians raiding a town. Last week, the Kansas Department of Education released a video of Watson making the remarks during a virtual gathering.
2: Yeah, it's always fascinating. I had some cousins in California. They were petrified of tornadoes. They'd come visit us you know, in in, in the summer. They're like, are we going to get killed by a tornado? And I'd say, don't worry about that. But you got to worry about the Indians raiding the town at any time. And they, were, they really thought that, you know, grew up in California. I guess you don't know much of the history of Kansas.
1: The four tribes of Kansas are asking for Watson's resignation and say they refuse to consider any other alternatives. The tribes say there are deeper concerns about the safety and welfare of Native students attending Kansas schools. They want children to be proud of being Native American and being able to celebrate their culture in an environment which displays respect and honor. The tribes say Native people continue to flourish even when faced with incidents like this one with the commissioner of the Kansas school system. Watson was reportedly talking about difficulties teaching during the pandemic and used hurricanes and tornadoes as an example when he told the story. The Kansas City Star reports Watson offered his resignation last week, but it was rejected by the Board of Education. Instead, he was suspended without pay for 30 days. The National Congress of American Indians and the Native American Rights Fund released a joint statement Friday on President Biden's nomination of Judge J. Brown-Jackson to the U.S. Supreme Court. If confirmed, she'll be the first black woman to sit on the highest court in the nation. National Congress of American Indians President Fawn Sharp in a statement said, Indian country knows how important it is to have diverse perspectives and voices on the bench. Sharp called on the Senate to fulfill its duties and hold hearings on the nomination. Native American Rights Fund Executive Director John Echohawk said they look forward to working with NCAI on the nomination. The national Native organizations closely follow what happens in federal courts and work to increase knowledge of federal Indian law, as decisions often have impacts on tribal nations. The group stressed the need for Supreme Court justices to have the understanding, recognizing, and upholding principles of tribal sovereignty, treaty rights, and federal trust responsibilities. Health care for tribal citizens living in Pennington County, South Dakota, is now controlled by tribes and not the federal government. On Saturday, all health care services provided by the Indian Health Service Rapid City Unit transferred to the Oyate Health Center. The center is a tribally managed clinic operated by the Great Plains Tribal Leaders Health Board. The Cheyenne River Sioux, Rosebud Sioux, and Oglala Sioux Tribes formally authorized the change. The center provides a range of health and wellness services to American Indian and Alaska Native people. Patients who require care beyond the capabilities of the unit will be referred to outside providers. Emergency services will be transferred to a hospital about four miles away. According to the Indian Health Service, more than 60% of IHS appropriation is administered by tribes, primarily through self-determination contracts or self-governance compacts. IHS provides health care to more than 2 million American Indians and Alaska Natives across the country. The United National Indian Tribal Youth Organization is mourning the loss of its founder, J.R. Cook, who passed away Friday at the age of 83 in Oklahoma. Cook started the organization in the 1970s with a small group of people, Unity has since grown, representing Native youth leaders across the U.S. and internationally, fostering their spiritual, mental, physical, and social development. Cook's death comes as Unity wrapped up its mid-year gathering over the weekend in Arizona, where hundreds of young people took part in Native youth-led activities. I'm Antonia Gonzalez.
2: National Native News is produced by Kiwanek Broadcast Corporation, with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Vision Maker Media, nurturing innovative storytelling. Beginning January 18th, Vision Maker Media is seeking proposals for short films by and about Native Americans and Alaska Natives. Deadline for submission is Friday, February 25th at visionmakermedia.org. Support from AmeriCorps. Members who serve in VISTA fight against poverty while earning money for college and gaining skills. Rewarding service opportunities are available in communities across America. Info at americorps.gov VISTA. Native Voice 1, the Native American Radio Network.
0: This is Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy. The Wisconsin State Assembly just passed a slate of new voting laws. The push for those changes came after Joe Biden's narrow win over Donald Trump in the 2020 election. Voting rights advocates say the laws use false information about the election to make it harder for Native people and other marginalized populations to vote. And in her recent address to the assembly, Stockbridge Muncie Band of Mohican Indians president Shannon Hulsley said, suppressing the right to vote undermines the basic right to participate in democracy. The the Wisconsin laws are just the latest in a long line of official efforts to put up barriers to voting. Supporters of the laws say they make voting safer, although there's little evidence of substantial problems with voting fraud. Today, we're gonna get an update on any new concerns about access to the polls for native voters. We'll also learn about any progress towards overcoming existing hurdles to participating in elections. And we wanna hear from our audience as well. Join our conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. And uh, joining us from Denver, Colorado, is Jacqueline DeLeon. She's a a staff attorney for the Native American Rights Fund, and she is Isleta Pueblo. Welcome back to Native America Calling,
3: Jacqueline. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Always nice to hear from you. Yeah,
0: thank you for joining us today. So um, also joining us from Billings, Montana is Tahin Perez. He is the Deputy Director for Western Native Voice, and he is Totonac Indigenous. Welcome to Native America Calling, Tahin. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining us. So I'd like to start with uh, Tahin. Uh, Tahin, tell me about the Native vote in Montana. I realize the tribes don't vote as one unit, but how significant are Native voters in state and federal elections there?
4: Well, the Native vote is very important in the state. Um, There's been um, many elections that have been decided by the Native vote um, more, Most recently, the last re-election effort by Senator Tester, uh, he ended up winning with uh, relatively a narrow margin. And um, on election night, uh, as one would expect, the Native vote, Native precincts uh, start are some of the last to, to report. Um, and as the night went on, um, uh, Senator Tester's deficit narrowed as those Native precincts were um, we're we're starting to report in, so um, it's it's clear to us that, that that Native American voting bloc is incredibly important in statewide and federal elections. Um, turnout has increased since the um, since we began tracking as an organization the the turnout um, last year, or actually, excuse me, in 2020, the last presidential election, Native turnout was at 66% uh, of registered voters in the targeted precincts that we that we track which is a record high from uh, basically all the elections that we've we've been keeping track of. So it's a growing voter block. It's a very active voting block, more and more active, and it's a massive, uh, important piece of the electorate.
0: All right. Hey, does that sound like um, your Native community? You can join our conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. How important is the Native vote in your state and in your community? Again, that number is 1-800-996-2848. Tahin, let's talk about um, uh, some uh, some new technology. Uh, Maybe that is is also uh, contributing to the growing number of voting and voting registration in Montana. So there's um, uh, digital kiosks, right? Can you tell me about those?
4: Absolutely. So one of our priorities in Western Native Voice is really pushing the envelope for access, not only to the ballot, but to voter registration opportunities. So um, these kiosks, they um, they function to have a um, online voter registration portal on them. So, a bit of a backstory: the, sta- uh, Mon- the state of Montana doesn't have online voter registration; um, it's still paper voter registration. Um, the state and Secretary of State really has not uh, brought voting access and voter registration into uh, the 21st century. So, um, but with the pandemic of, that we're still in, started in 2020, uh, we joined with. Uh, a handful of other groups that do voter engagement, civic engagement in our state to create an unofficial online voter registration website, which uh, asks individuals, applicants, uh, certain information from the voter registration voter registration form. And then what our organizations do then in turn is uh, send a pre-filled voter registration form to the applicant who goes online. Um, then They provide their ID information, sign it and date it. Um, Those pieces of information are things that we can't uh, collect on the online form. Again, this is not an official um, voter registration website from the Secretary of State. Um, But it functions as a way of demonstrating that this is possible. Um, So often we are um, asked by tribal governments, tribal nation representatives asking, when is online voter registration going to happen? When is online voting going to happen? They say, if we can have online banking, why can't we have online voter registration, online voting? And so, um, we've taken that, those ideas and have begun to put them to use as as much as we can as a nonprofit, as a non government non governmental agency. So we've taken that online voter registration website to the next step by uh, installing as many of these kiosks as possible. It's a tablet that is in a sort of a kiosk stand. Um, And we're working with tribal governments, health clinics, um, cultural centers, public libraries, basically anybody uh, that has the public come in. Um, The goal is to have, is to meet individuals where they're going for their services um, and as one of the multiple tools in our toolbox for voter outreach and voter engagement. Um, So that's in a nutshell what the project is.
0: All right. So let's talk about same-day voter registration. Uh, The Montana legislator uh, eliminated the option for residents, and that seems like an issue that applies to all Montana residents equally. Uh, Why would that be more of a hurdle for Native voters?
4: So uh, the loss of same-day voter registration, like you had mentioned, it, it is a an issue that uh, – a policy change that really affects all Montanans, specifically working Montanans, uh, Montanans who um, take pride in going and um, voting in person on Election Day, which is a behavior that we see in a lot of the Native communities, especially rural communities here in Montana, is that um, Election Day is, is an event where people go and – um, you know they they do their voting that day and they might see their relatives vote it's it's, it's a, another opportunity to especially nowadays with the pandemic and all the social distancing it's a way to uh, see relatives see friends um, in in um, in person so um, the problem is that um, you know most people don't aren't on top of their voter registration there's folks that are living in varying degrees of crises um, from you know, not being able to have transportation to uh, food insecurity, job insecurity. Um, you know, there's a lack of child, child care to be able to uh, take the time to go vote. Um, you know, if you do have a job, you know, election day is not a time where you can necessarily get time off. So people who work, just they work because they can't afford to miss a day. So there's a lot of barriers. And the, the a lot of people count on same-day voter registration when they show up in the polls. They... Um, may have had their voter registration lapse um, without their knowledge, maybe they moved, um, even a house down the street or across the state. Um, And when those things happen um, for either work or life or whatever, um, they're, they're not aware that they have to re-register to vote with their new address. So they disqualify themselves oftentimes without knowing, and without same-day voter registration, there's no recourse on the day of. And so you take all of the bits and pieces that I just mentioned, and it does create a, a perfect storm of disenfranchisement for not only regular working Montanans, but specifically for uh, individuals in tribal, rural tribal areas.
0: Okay so when does this take effect uh wh- when is the next elec- uh, election uh that this applies to
4: so unless there's any changes to the law uh, via the courts uh it will take place it will take effect this election this midterm election
0: okay All right. And uh, so there are some new requirements for acceptable IDs for voters, both to register and to vote in person. How does that change under the new law? And why is that important for Native voters specifically?
4: So that's a great question. So in regards to how the ID changes um, affect Native American voters, uh, it changes the the acceptable status of uh, tribal IDs, um, specifically when someone goes in person to vote. Uh, it used to be before um, this law, it used to be that one could use a tribal ID and that was it, They could to prove who they were, basically. Now it's a tribal ID plus uh, an additional form of identification. So... Whether that's a state issued ID or uh, a pay stub with your address on it, uh, any sort of government document with your name and current address on it, a bank statement, anything like that. So um, the problem is, is that people don't necessarily have those laying around a whole lot, Um, and to um, have them um, be conscious of that when they're going into uh, into their polling location is is really unacceptable. Um, These tribal IDs are are IDs of a sovereign nation. Um, They are secure. There are federal identifications. And so there's no reason why the state of Montana should consider them basically subservient to their uh, state-issued IDs.
0: Got it. All right, thanks, Tahine. We're going to come back after this break, but we are talking about voting access in Native America. Join us by calling 1-800-996-2848. Yellowstone National Park is celebrating its 150th anniversary this year. In addition to its natural beauty, the parkland is connected to more than two dozen tribes dating back thousands of years. Its designation as a national park was a major point in restricting tribal access. We'll get the Native perspective on Yellowstone on the next Native America Calling. (inaudible)
5: Hey she meason yam art on our aunt and our donit and up to Easton e sure kids now dot golf with our and ta easton one eight seven seven kids now with pen and I can up to Aqua Boss Awa show to ta eastern healthcare dot golf with our one and ta eastern one eight hundred three one eight two five dance six a pen and agenda to look send us your Medicare and Medicare services don't now know pen and it can await
0: You are listening to Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy. Or Are you or somebody in your family finding it hard to cast your vote? Do you think it's too easy to vote and there should be more ways to ensure that the person who is voting is who they say they are? We're talking about voting access today and you're invited to join the conversation. Our number is 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99NATIVE. We are here with uh, Tahine Perez, Deputy Director for Western Native Voice. Um, Tahine, we were talking about different forms of uh, identification for voter registration. Where can people go to find out this information? Is there one central place people can go to find out what you need to bring with you? Whether you need to bring like your a whole folder full of um, uh, your birth certificate and different certificates from throughout your whole life or where do you go to find out uh, what you need to uh, register to vote
4: yeah so um, one can go to sos.mt.gov which is the Secretary of State's website. Um, It has information there for the state of Montana and what are acceptable IDs and um, where to register to vote. Um, And uh, if anyone needs any assistance, they can always reach out to our organization. uh, Visit our website at westernnativevoice.org or email us at info at westernnativevoice.org.
0: How about uh, the method to deliver mail-in ballots? What's, What's the change there?
4: Absolutely. Uh, this is the, the third of the of the trifecta, as as I like to call it, of the of the voting voter suppression bills that uh, that came out of the last legislative session here in Montana. So, um, the change in that is uh, an an attempt to, uh, once again, for the legislature to limit the number of ballots or to otherwise make uh, ballot collection and delivery illegal in this state. Uh, Our organization joined uh, a lawsuit back in 2020 on the first iteration of this attempt uh, called the Ballot Interference Prevention Act uh, of 2018. Um, And it essentially uh, restricted the number of ballots that one could deliver that weren't their own to six. And any additional would uh, carry a a fine per ballot. Um, This also required um, a Sort of a affidavit and reporting and uh, implementation was very sketchy at best. The uh, the election administrators didn't want it, didn't ask for it, um, and there was language problems in the legislation. Just like in the most recent iteration, uh, there's vague definitions or no vague, or no definitions of acquaintance or family, and we all know that uh, in. Uh, in Indian country, the the term family is different from, let's say, non-native um, households. Um, f- uh, family is a very broad definition, and um, folks that may not be blood relatives are also part of family, which is distinct um, from other understandings of what family is. And so, it doesn't have the 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 appropriate consideration to um, to not exclude Native American families and Native American voters. And so. Um, any attempt for our organization, any attempt to limit that ability is very much an attempt to um, suppress the vote and um, make it more difficult than it already is for Native voters to cast a ballot.
0: Okay. And are you talking about uh, currently, is, is your organization uh, currently fighting this in the courts?
4: Uh, so I was referencing our past um, victory um, back in 2020, uh, but we are currently in in, in a lawsuit uh, pending with the, uh, against the state on um, the recent ballot interference prevention act. Um, it, I'm not sure if it's called that. We we like to call it BIPA 2.0 because it's essentially the same the same effort, just you know dressed up a little differently. Uh, and then also for the end of same day voter registration.
0: Okay. What are some other ways that could improve uh, native voter participation despite all these measures that might be uh, hurdles to voting?
4: Number one is access um, so uh, access along with education. So in our experience, you you know education only goes so far uh, until you start talking about the limited access that there is for these voting services. Um, so things like end-of-same-day voter registration is a massive issue when it comes to voting access. Other things, such as the long distances, um, are a barrier. So there is a um, a kind of a, uh, an effort um, after the uh, lawsuit of Wandering Medicine versus Secretary of State to create satellite or alternate election offices within the boundaries of Tribal nations. Now, the original settlement in Wandering Medicine covered Bighorn County, Blaine County, and Rosebud County. Um, After that, the um, Secretary of State, Linda McCulloch, at that time uh, made a directive uh, from our office so that other counties that aren't those three that I mentioned, that also Share boundaries with a tribal nation, that they also make an effort to provide these um, these services within the early voting period, which is um, now uh, 30 days before uh, election day, uh, to have that available within tribal um, tr- within tribal lands. Um, the The issue is is that um, it's it's only a directive, so it's not codified. It's not law. Um, there could technically be uh, a secretary of state down the line that. Um, Basically says that you know they have the ability to rescind that directive to all all of the counties except for the three that I mentioned before, um, and so it's 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 a really untenable situation. Um, so one of our efforts most recently in the legislature was uh, a policy to codify the system of satellite and election, uh, satellite um, and alternate election offices in this state as well as specifically mandating a minimum for days and hours. Right now it's at the discretion of counties and their budgets, um, but our hope was to make that law and uh, put down, you know, Monday through Friday, eight to five, and just make it standard across the board. Um, but now it's a sort of a hodgepodge of different availabilities and different policies um, in in the, the states that share um, boundaries with the tribal nation, so um, those I think are are the best initial points of interaction when it comes to improving um, voting participation is the access along with the education on that.
0: All right, uh, let's go to a caller. We have uh, Melvin in Santee, Nebraska, listening on KZyk. Hey, Melvin.
5: Good morning. Uh, was, you know, here at Santee. Uh, We have a housing shortage as most reservations do. And, uh, at the voting time was that four years ago. Uh, one of the residents there whose name was not on the lease was not, uh, they wanted something from them like a own bill, right bill, something to prove that he lived there and he didn't have any of that we have those type of things and the other is in our local elections you vote in one place then at lindy and then you go 20 miles to center to vote for the federal elections. so and then the tribal elections Or held down in the village, the community center. So, you know, it's really confusing for a lot of members where to vote. And the other thing is we have a tremendous amount of young people who are not voting and should be voting. And I would like to see when they graduate that they also register to vote at graduation time mm. because we could make a difference in these county and state elections. But as a matter of fact, we could be a swing state because we got so many young people.
0: Thank you so much, Melvin. Good to hear from you. Uh, if you have a comment on today's topic, we are talking about voting access. And uh, Melvin mentioned gerrymandering. We're also going to be talking about uh, redistricting. That's happening in a handful of states right now. Uh, our phone number is 1-800-996-2848. That's also one eight hundred 99 native What are some of the uh, local efforts to get young people registered t- and interested to vote in your native community. Um, how how big, how important is the native vote in your state? Again, join us by calling one eight hundred nine nine six two eight four eight. 996 2848 And what um, uh, Melvin described is kind of like, is kind of what uh, Tahin uh, was talking about, kind of a hodgepodge of uh, different um, different uh, laws and different um you know, requirements to just be able to vote and have that access to voting. Um, at this time, I'd like to bring in uh, Jacqueline De who, uh, staff attorney for the Native American Rights Fund, uh, Jacqueline. Um, do you have any um, any response to what Melvin is talking about? Kind of not knowing where to vote, and um, you know, having having difficulty, just having that kind of access to to voting.
3: Absolutely. So first, thank you so much, Melvin. I think his comment is exactly the situation that we're seeing across Indian country um, over and over again. Um, And so, you know, NARF did an extensive report, Obstacles at Every Turn, Barriers to Political Participation Faced by Native Americans. And I think Melvin actually hit on a lot of the major points that we tried to make in that report. First, he was talking about the lack of housing, right? How that ends up blocking native americans from being able to vote because you don't have that address you don't have that ready proof of address right but not only is there you know uh, a housing crisis but sometimes even the house itself doesn't have an address on it so it becomes impossible to provide that proof of address um, but you know as he mentioned people are going from home to home they're couch surfing and so they don't have a bill utility statement that has their name on it so they don't have a permanent address. So. You know, when these voter ID laws happen and they say, oh, you need to have a voter ID to prove who you are and prove your address, uh, that ends up disenfranchising Native Americans uh, because they just don't have that kind of proof. Um, then, you know, there's the reluctance on behalf of states and counties to put a um, polling places on the reservation instead folks have to go to the border town in order to vote and even if that's just 20 miles as melvin mentioned you know they're used to voting in the community center for for tribal elections that's a logical place that's a comfortable place um, where other americans across the country we will you know we uh you know here in denver i vote in a place that i go all the time you know a community center that i go all the time and that comfort you know what that comfort does is it communicates to you hey your vote is welcome. This is a part of the experience that you're used to having and that we're here located in the spot that's familiar to you. Instead, too often, um, you know, uh, states and counties force Native Americans to leave home communities and go, you know, to border towns that we know uh, historically have been very hostile towards Native Americans. Um, and so they've got to go to this hostile place to vote. And sometimes it's confusing. It's far. Um, uh, you know, it, even if it's 20 miles, that's still far. That's 40 miles round trip. That's a tank of gas sometimes. And, you know, that's a poor road. Um, That can be difficult uh, for, for people to travel. And then finally, you know, I think what all those barriers are communicating is that your vote is unwelcome. And that's why we see the young people not turning out. Right. Not just because it's difficult and confusing, but because, you know, the system that isn't making voting readily accessible is communicating the message that you're not welcome. And the reason that they are communicating that message is because they know the power associated with voting. They know that there can be you know, big changes to resources and infrastructure when Native Americans come out and vote. And as Melvin said, you know, we got an opportunity to make it a, a swing state if all the young people voted. Um, and so you know, I think there are a lot of structural problems that are keeping Native Americans from voting, and there's a lot of intentional uh, discrimination keeping Natives from voting. And that's why you know, we've been pushing for federal laws to mandate on reservation access and also suing at the state level to make sure uh, that states and counties are held accountable when they disenfranchise native voters.
0: Got it. And, um, you know, part of this is redistricting and uh, NARF is suing the state of North Dakota on behalf of the Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa tribe. Um, and of course, that issue is uh, redistricting. Uh, in, in plain English, can you describe what this problem is?
3: Sure. So when you have redistricting, right, redistri- what redistricting means is that you're drawing the lines uh, for voting. Right. So you, you have districts that you end up saying, OK, these are the group of people that go in there and these are the people groups that go over there. And when you draw those lines, there's an ability to manipulate those lines to get the outcomes that you want. And that's called gerrymandering. Right. And so what we're seeing is that people are manipulating the lines to make it so that Native American political power has less of an impact. So the two main ways that you do that is called cracking and packing. So cracking means when you have a population, say you've got 40 percent of a population, right? Uh, Out of five seats, you should have two out of five seats if you've got 40 percent of the population. But what they do when they crack you is they put uh, instead of, you know, they put a um, half of uh, or well, a third of your voters in one district, a third of your voters in another district, and a third of your voters in a di- another district. So you can never reach the majority in the two districts that you're entitled to, right? Your vote is diluted across all of the space. When you're packing, right, what you do if you're if you've got 40% and you're entitled to those two seats, um, they put all of you in one district so that you can't get the two districts that you're uh, that you're entitled to. So that's called packing. And what we saw North Dakota do was both cracking and packing, (laughs) utilizing both those tools to make it so that the Native Americans uh, and Turtle Mountain and Spirit Lake Tribe, both of which are are doing as well as some individual Native plaintiffs, um, uh, so that they uh, previously in a district where they had two Representatives now they only have one. And so um, we're suing um, North Dakota's state legislative map uh, as unconstitutional under Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act.
0: Got it. All right. Well, we're heading into a break in just a couple of seconds here. But uh, just a reminder to our listeners, you can join our conversation, too. We are talking about voting access in Native America. Uh, Does redistricting cause issues to how powerful the Native vote is in your community and in your state? Um, Or is it just fine? Uh, Give us a call. We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. This is Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy. There's still time to join our conversation about the ability for Native voters to participate in elections. You can have your voice heard on today's show by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. And let's go over to the phone lines. We have Shell calling in Fort, uh, Fort Hall, Idaho, listening on KISU. Hi, Shell.
5: Good morning. Uh, Yeah, like, uh, over here, what's going on in Idaho is that they're registering uh, Republicans, and you have to uh, register as a Republican in advance, so uh, uh, election day, you could go and vote, but, you know, like, if you're doing a blue vote, uh, you know... It's it's mostly going to be the blue voters on Election Day that will be voting because the uh, Republicans would already register their vote uh, before, kind of like early voting, but it's like early screening. So you can't vote red on Election Day because they'll throw your vote out. Hmm.
0: All right, Shell, thank you so much for calling in. Uh we've got Jacqueline De Leon on the line. She is a, an attorney for the Native American Rights Fund or NARF. Uh Jacqueline, um can you can you maybe expand on party affiliation as part of um uh voter identity, I guess?
3: Yeah, I'm I'm not quite sure what the the particular situation that he's talking about there, but I do know Um, that some states require you to participate in the primary uh, to register to vote in a party. So, um, you know, primary is the election before the general election uh, where you um, decide who the candidate is going to be for one of the parties. So either the Republican or the Democrat or independent party, they can have a primary. And so say two, two people are running for the Republican ticket, you vote which one. Some states, not all states, some states require you to register uh, as a Republican to participate in the primary or register as a Democrat to participate in the primary, Uh, and that varies state to state. Um, So, you know, if you show up and you're not registered as either a Republican for a Republican primary or a Democrat for your Democrat primary, your vote might get tossed. Um, But for the general election, it's never the case that you have to register for a party to vote. So once the candidate is decided, um, you um, you know so so you've got your your Democrat and you've got your Republican candidate in the general election in November, um, you don't have to worry about um, registering for a party. You can vote no matter what.
0: Okay. All right. So um, just before the break, we were talking about redistricting uh, and the the 2020 census kind of, um, you know, kicked everything off for redistricting. Uh, How long do voting district boundaries last?
3: So voting district boundaries last 10 years. So it's a pretty significant outcome. So what happens is every year um, for the census, um, people are counted. And then they're sorted into their districts that last for 10 years and um, until the next, um, you know, large census. And um, the reason um, that that's significant is because, you know, lots of times in Native communities, um, given to, you know, those issues that Melvin was talking about, folks are moving from home to home. They're hard to count. Um, you know, Native America traditionally has been undercounted, um, which means that when it comes time to um, allocate uh, the districts, you um, sometimes our political power gets diluted because we don't get all of the voters uh, counted um, that we otherwise uh, would have if if there was a full count.
0: Okay. And who draws the boundaries, uh, say, in North Dakota?
3: So it varies from state to state. Mm-hmm. Uh, in North Dakota, the state legislature passed a map. Um, but for example, in Montana, um, they used an independent commission. Um, so it really kind of varies um, from state to state who ends up drawing um, those lines, but it has a big impact. So you know, an independent commission is um, uh, has two Repub- in Montana had two Republicans and two Democrats and an independent chair, um, and then um, you know in North Dakota legislature, you know it's it's largely dominated by Republicans, um, and so uh, as a result, um, you know who draws the lines becomes a really important question. Okay. All right.
0: And, um, you know, going back to North Dakota again, this isn't the first time that NARF has intervened in North Dakota's voting access uh, issues. What is the history in the state on voting laws?
3: Yeah, so North Dakota has consistently uh, suppressed and um, tried to disenfranchise uh, Native American voters. Uh, What we, uh, the last time that NARF brought in action was against North Dakota's voter ID law, which was um, uh, unconstitutional. Um, They uh, implemented the voter ID law directly after the 2012 election of Heidi Hadkamp, who was elected um, by, I think, a little over a 1,000 votes, super slim margin. And her win was widely attributed to Native Americans. In the very next legislative session, uh, North Dakota imposed this voter ID law that required a residential address on the ID when they knew that there were Native Americans in North Dakotas that did not have addresses on their home. And so, you know, this type of intentional discrimination um, is aimed at suppressing Native American voters, especially when they flex their native their voting power and have um, outcomes on elections. And so, uh, you know, we were able to eventually settle that case um, and now, Um, You know, there are accommodations for voters that don't have um, addresses and there are the state is required to provide more opportunities for Native Americans to get IDs. Um, But there's a long history. um, And, you know, that was part of our case in the voter ID case and part of this redistricting case, a long history of intentional discrimination uh, in North Dakota.
0: Okay. Um, with with a couple of uh, exceptions, uh, redistricting lawsuits around the country have not really gained a lot of uh, traction. What is the trend for these kinds of uh, gerrymandering lawsuits?
3: So actually, you know, around the country, there there's actually been quite a few successes, right? Mm-hmm. So like actually, the lawsuits have turned out um, finding these maps to be unconstitutional. But what we saw was a really disturbing uh, decision out of the Supreme Court. Um, where they said that it was too late to make changes um, to uh, uh, redistricting maps um, in anticipation of the election in November. Um, and this is, I think, just a way of allowing for illegal unconstitutional maps to move forward, and that was a case out of Alabama where two Trump appointees found that the maps were unconstitutionally drawn because it was such a flagrant violation of um, a dilution of, of, in that case, black voters, um, and the Supreme Court nevertheless um, m- made it so that those illegal maps are going to go forward for this next election cycle. Um, and you know that's a really disturbing result um and something that we're uh, very alarmed by um, and um, you know makes it more difficult to challenge blatantly unconstitutional maps.
0: okay uh, you know who who you know who gains from uh gerrymandering? I mean, maybe this is just um you know very broad question, but uh, why would why would anybody want to have that happen in a community?
3: So who gains? There's a ton of power at a local level um, that ends up uh, at on the line, right? Um, and so, you know, it's a very powerful thing, even if you're only 40 percent of the population. If you've got two votes in there, right, um, you're able to set the agendas. You're able to argue against um, just rubber stamping plans that would um, uh, make it more difficult for your community, Um, having representation in a community matters. A really good example of this is in San Juan County, Utah. In San Juan County, Utah, in 2018, um, a district court had to redraw the maps um, so that they were fair. And in that case, uh, Native Americans make up 51% of the county. Nevertheless, they were forced into um, uh, uh, less representation. And so once they were able to have fair maps, um, the native candidates ended up winning, and they gained control of uh, that county commission. Um, and um, you know, one of the big positions that the county commission had been taking prior to uh, the Navajo Nation or Navajo uh, citizens um, gaining control of the county commission was saying that they did not support the Bears Ears National Monument. Um, but the second that uh, the Navajos were able to control the commission. They reversed the commission's position on that and became supportive of the Bears Ears National Monument. And so, you know, there's these huge impacts um, that these uh, local um, commissions can take uh, and positions that they can take in allocation of resources um, and you know that really impact the day-to-day lives of people. Uh, and so, you know, it's really important to fight uh, for every representative.
0: Got it. Um, to our listeners, you can join our conversation. There's still a bit of time to call in and have your voice heard on uh, voting access in Native America. We're at 1 800 996 2848. That's also 1 eight hundred nine nine native And even after the fact, you can comment on social media. We're on Instagram. Uh, Facebook, and we have an online comment section as well at NativeAmericaCalling.com. So, um, Jacqueline, you know, we're, we're talking about... Um, uh, redistricting, drawing boundaries. Uh, but I'd like to go uh, back to talking about other um, uh, voter laws. Uh, if these laws have the potential to diminish, well, some, some laws, if they have the potential to diminish Native voter participation, are there things that uh, Native rights advocates can do to counter that, uh, to get out awareness and increase voter uh, participation?
3: Absolutely. Um, You know, across the the country, a lot of um, what voter suppression ends up doing is by making it just more difficult to vote. And so um, getting the will to vote and saying that, you know, even if I'm even if these laws are unfair, nevertheless, I'm going to turn out uh, goes a really long way. So rallying people to understand that they're being kept from power. is something that's that's really important, um, and helping people logistically um, to go overcome all of these hurdles is really important, because you know I think that uh, what these laws do is they just you know put up these roadblocks so that um, voters uh, just get shaved off, and just enough of voters get shaved off so that the outcome is swung. Right, um, and if you can recapture those voters, um, either by you know uh, you know getting driving them back to their house to, to get that secondary form of ID and driving all the way back, or you know even early on in the process, advocating and putting that request into the county, saying hey um, we want an on reservation polling place, and Narf actually has a project, um, and we have a person dedicated entirely to making requests to counties um, to put. Uh, polling places on reservations. Um, And, you know, you can reach out to vote at narf.org if you do not have a polling place on your reservation and you would like one, and we can help facilitate that request. Um, Because we understand how important it is uh, to have the opportunity to vote um, in your community. Um, And so, you know, getting, breaking down these logistical hurdles, um, not getting uh, stymied by them, and picking up the voters that get, um, you know, picked off because of these rules is something that voting voter advocates can do on the ground um, to really, really help um, and, um, you know, get the vote out uh, despite all these intentional efforts to make it hard to vote.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd like to bring in our other guest, uh, Tahine Perez, Deputy Director for Western Native Voice. Uh, Tahine, this is this is your um, this is your uh, maybe specialty. What what are maybe some other ways that you've seen uh, voting advocates um, spark that interest in Native America to uh, get out and vote?
4: Absolutely, that's a great question. Um, so, on top of what uh, what Jacqueline has been mentioning, I think telling the true story of voting rights. I think that in just within our own staff and, and sort of the trainings that we've done for our organizers or field organizers over the years, um, we find that when we tell the true story of voting enfranchisement or disenfranchisement, uh, uh, putting that into context and showing that we're not too disconnected time-wise from when um, Native people weren't even considered citizens of this country. You know, the, the the phrase, first one's here, last one's to vote, really rings true for a lot of the people that we interact with. And I think that that is the big catalyst, the outrage that comes with that information. The um, sense of urgency um, really helps to... Um, really light a fire under people, and and we hope that that is something that continues and that listeners here on your program um, can feel that that outrage of what's going on um, and that this isn't just some hobby of policymakers to do it. They're doing this intentionally because they know the power of vote, of people who um, they don't want voting. Um, They know that power. They're seeing, especially here in Montana and other places, um, with significant Native American voting blocks, they they see the the power of the Native vote, and so I think telling that story is really
3: impactful.
0: Okay, so and also, do laws that diminish voting ever backfire? Like, create more interest in that community to vote?
4: I definitely think so. I think that um, when and it, and it's up to groups like ours, like NARF, like community groups, uh, not just nonprofits, but, you know, people who are interested, concerns, uh, you know, members of communities who um, are seeing what's going on happen. Um, and I think that um, with things like ballot interference prevention, ballot uh, collection and delivery restrictions, those kinds of things, um, and lo- loss of polling locations, you um, The idea is that these things will backfire and we're proving that we're not going to stand down and we're going to put up a fight.
0: All right. Thank you so much for that. That is all the time we have for today's show. I'd like to thank our guests, Tahim Perez and Jacqueline DeLeon. Thank you so much for joining us today. Tomorrow, I'll be back with another live show, this time talking about Yellowstone National Park, because this year, actually tomorrow, March 1st, is the 150th anniversary of the park's designation, and we'll get all the Native perspectives on that. I'm Andy Murphy. We'll see you tomorrow.
2: Support for this program provided by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium the collective spirit and unifying voice of 37 tribal colleges and universities for over 45 years AHEC has worked to ensure that tribal sovereignty is recognized and respected and that tribal colleges and universities are included in this nation's higher education system information on a tribal college or university near you at dot org
0: Top piece dem heads me let's out. Chquokle tells it to sequel Sukin sole cases yet to us who can check. Chquiment insurekidsnow.gov. Upon Chquokle tells it kids now. Genau- semua- ép- Chquokle caminho- Vacuumala- wine- tells yes, it to us Kelly of Sukh Mariem yet Saham. Chquiment healthcare.gov. U Hajquokle tells it one eight hundred three one eight two five nine six. Chquokle to meet Yepsmamit and Centers for Medicare u Medicaid Services.